Why would someone pick you? I mean, really, with all the options out there, why would somebody choose you for whatever it is that you do? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we had several questions this week that had to do with how to promote yourself, how to get in the game. Once you are trained, certified, accredited, whatever it is, how do you then go out, let the world know what it is that you're doing? How do you have people choose you? So we're going to kind of group some of those together today, as we often do. But here's some of the questions that we'll be addressing. Now that the door is open for me, I'm not sure how to market myself as a professional. Somebody says, I know that entrepreneurship holds so much promise, but I'm wondering if maybe it just doesn't matter how positive and passionate you are. People are determined to keep us in our little box and I can't find the way out. Is there really any hope for us? Now, that comes from a young couple who has their, have their own business. We're going to talk about that. How about this one? What is Dan Miller's definition of a coach? Well, the same kind of thing. If you're a coach, how do you attract people? How do you get people to come to you? This is kind of the reverse. This is somebody who's looking for a coach. How do you get past all the empty promises that you may hear from those who call themselves coaches? And then how about this one? How should I manage the relationship between being my congregation's pastor versus being a coach and charging them for my services. Whoa, now there's a hot potato. Well, I'll give you some examples of what people are doing in those areas. Our quotation today comes from Booker T. Washington, who said, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. So that's kind of a tip as to some of the slant we're going to be taking. Excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. What is it that you're doing that makes you unique, distinct, uncommon, to stand out from the crowd? Well, we got a resource for you today. You know, I just did, just this week, just did the webinar on finding your sweet spot. And lots and lots of you on there, lots of interaction. I love the interaction we had on that but one of the things that we uh, that I thought about as we were doing that, you know, once you find your sweet spot, then how do you translate that into some kind of work? So certainly we've got a lot of resources that point in that direction. But one of our free resources for today is 10 side business ideas. Now, these have all come from podcast listeners. These are people who share ideas. We put them together in just a real attractive PDF that you can download for free. Just go to 48days.com slash Side biz, B I Z, all one word, side biz, 48days.com, side biz. Now, I want to start off with some good news here, and I've got one that's it's kind of lengthy, so I'm going to do this. This comes from a listener. Eric is a listener. You'll see as I go through this here, but just a great story about rising above circumstances, not being victimized. You know, we've got so many things going on right now, uh, so many things that seem to be making people unsure. Certainly, we've got the coronavirus, we've got political unrest, we've got wars around the world, all kinds of things. But um, I love these examples of people who decided not to succumb to circumstances, but to rise above. So here's Eric's note. 
I bought a few copies of your book over the years, but I can't hang on to them. Someone I know always needs it more than I do. Well, thanks, Eric, for passing those on. He says, I can't tell you how much your content has done for me and my family over the past number of years. I first heard about you through Dave Ramsey about eight to 10 years ago. I bought your 48 Days to the Working Love book in 2013, but I dropped out partway through the book and quit my job. The path was that clear to me. My wife, Carrie, and I have three kids, the youngest of which was born in 2010. At this time, we knew that my wife's medical condition was not getting better and, in fact, was not allowing her to take care of our three kids. Now, I'm going to condense a little bit there. They got a nanny, boom, getting outside help to try to make things work. But he says about a year and a half of that, and I was exhausted in basically every way. You talk about having a flat tire when one of the areas on the wheel of life is not doing well. Brother, I had a full blowout and was riding on the bare rim. I caught myself falling asleep driving home from work in the middle of the afternoon, and I'm pretty sure I even rolled right through a four-way stop near our home while lost in my head trying to figure out what to do. I considered changing jobs, but that wasn't really the problem. My employer at the time was very sympathetic to our family situation and did their best to accommodate me. One day I came home, said to Carrie that maybe I should start my own consulting business and work from home. She was totally on board with that. That was confirmation number one. Shortly after that, I went out on my lunch break from work and bought a used laptop for $200, the first purchase toward mobilizing my upcoming venture. That night, I went to the mailbox and found, unbeknown to me until then, a check for $10,000 from my mother, which was a gift from her from an inheritance she received from her mother, who had passed away several months before. Wouldn't you know that was exactly what I needed for all the specialty software, insurance, engineering, business licenses that I needed to start my own business. At that moment, I knew God was in this thing too. I left my employer in December 2013, then my first client that first week. While my youngest child was in preschool, for a few hours, three days a week, I went to the nearby Y and exercised and listened to podcasts. My body and soul started to heal. There were many days when I only got two to three hours of work done, but I can tell you the Lord blessed me with work when I had the time available and when family life was just too crazy somehow I didn't have anything pressuring me. I never received a phone call while I was at the gym. It seemed to be set apart time for me. Fast forward. All right. Now he talked about that was back in 2013. Here we are 2020. Fast forward. Business has grown steadily through the years. The kids are now 12, 11, and nine. So things are a bit easier that way. Carrie, his wife is still medically disabled, but has been doing her own business pursuits this whole time as her health and time permit. Like your wife, Joanne, my wife has skills in sewing, makes all sorts of outfits and accessories for newborn baby photographers. Hearing you talk about that gal that sells doll clothing patterns led me to prompt my wife to do the same with her patterns for photography prop outfits. To date, she's sold several thousand dollars worth. Her latest venture is in social media marketing and operation management consulting. There's no stopping her. Last week, we each cleared more than six figures in our businesses while neither of us are working full time. We've been paying down our mortgage like crazy. We're on track to be completely debt free by July of this year when I turned 40, which was our time goal to be debt free way back in the beginning before Carrie's medical concerns escalated. And we thought it would take decades to do so. Seeing our goal of debt freedom realized soon has me feeling like a pro golfer walking down the back nine with a 12 shot lead. 
So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, for all you do for me and so many others through your life's work. Regards, Eric. Wow, Eric, thank you so much for sharing that. Wow, so many inspirational nuggets in there where other people would look in and say, wow, yeah, I understand why you're not doing well. No, well, there are things, there are challenges we're all faced with. You couldn't figure out how to make this all work with a wife who needed special medical attention, working a regular job, even though they were sympathetic and flexible. Wow, went out on your own. And again, that I mean, that, that's a great solution as you describe it. That doesn't mean that it's a blanket cookie cutter recommendation for everybody listening. But in your situation, you saw it was the best plan for you, made it work. And here you are not only surviving, but thriving. I love that. Great example. Again, just encouraging and inspiring to all of us about overcoming circumstances and going on being successful. Just as we have had a couple of people contact me about reduced conference attendance. You know, a lot of people are concerned about travel and we know that. I said, you know, instead of just unplugging everything we're doing, this is a time when those of us who are leaders, people who want to be high achievers, can just be an example to others that, you know, we don't just succumb to the news and hype and even circumstances that are real. We continue to go on, look for opportunities to be successful, pave the way, be examples to others. Well, Joey says, Dan, the door is open, but I'm afraid to walk through. I'm currently uh, been in, a, in a trades and I've been doing for six years up until the end of 2019, but I know this work is not fulfilling. So I recently got certified as a personal trainer because helping others with their health and fitness goals has always been a passion for me. Now that the door is open for me, I'm not sure how to market myself as a professional. I want to be creative and stand out, but I'm not sure how. Thank you. All right. Great question, Joey. Um, your personal trainer. Again, catch the theme here that we're going to be talking about because you may have a title. It can be a massage therapist, a sports trainer, an artist, musician, a coach, whatever it is. There are a whole lot of other people with that same title. So you've got to figure out how can you stand out in the old Steve Martin mantra, be so good. They can't ignore you. But as a personal trainer, you're getting started. You could offer, if somebody buys four sessions, they get a fifth one free. Make sure that you connect with a local gym or fitness center. Become their resident trainer. You know, offer to train people right there on the spot. You know, give examples, do classes. Um, offer to come to people's houses. I mean, our massage therapist, one of the key advantages is she comes to our house. We've got our own table and all that, but wow, what what a convenience to not have to go somewhere and park and go in and then get on the table. And then, you know, here we're right in our own home and we go right from the massage table, jump in the shower afterward and ready to go. So look for things you can do that make you unique. Ask for referrals. You might want to hold group classes, but above all, look for your distinct advantage. What is it that people think of when they talk about Joey? Why do you stand out as a personal trainer? Look for something that allows you to distinguish yourself. Here's an example, just knowing my work, 48 days to the work you love. Well, I'm a career coach. So if you go look for career coaches in a Google search, you're going to find, you know, I don't know, probably 15, 20 million sites that talk about career coaching. 
I'm probably in there somewhere, but I really don't know where. It really doesn't matter because if you put in 48 days, I own that even in a Google search, not because of paying for something or, you know, fancy social media. No, it's just, I'm the 48 days guy. I'm the guy who says, yeah, we'll work on your career and figure out something better. Not just when it suits or when you graduate or when you get another degree, blah, blah, blah. No, you can change your life dramatically in 48 days if you create a plan and act on it. That's what you want as a personal trainer. Come up with something that makes you distinct. What are people, what do people think of when they think of you? Well, let's go on because we're going to have common kind of questions here as we go through these. Scott says, Dan, here's my simple question. What's Dan Miller's definition of a coach? And he says the word coach is used a lot these days. There are all kinds of them. Life coach, career coach, sales coach, business coach, life transition coach, just to name a few. Looking at the meaning of the word coach, he says it means a private tutor, one who instructs or trains. I wonder if some of these coaches are using this definition. I live in an area where coaches are all over the place. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting a coach of some kind. I've hired some coaches in the area to help me with my business, and I found them to be mostly a waste of money. That might be a little too harsh to say, but in general, I did not find a good use of my limited financial resources. When working with these coaches, I investigated how did they know they were doing a good job for their clients. In general, the response was, my clients were happy. Trying to drill down a little more on this subjective term, happy, I uncovered there was no real objective measure showing how their business was succeeding besides sales dollars. Nothing about the number of referrals they got from past clients. Nothing about following up with past clients to see how they're still doing. Thus, I was left with using a gut check to see if they were going to be a coach that would help me. Each coach generally took this kind of an outline at each session. You know, number one, how can how can you get the most out of our session today? Number two, what's the best way you might be able to realize these important things? Number three, you should make a list of tasks to accomplish by our next session. Number four, let's schedule our next session. Notice this list never had anything to do with following up with the last session or even having a discussion about if real change has taken place. There was almost no tutoring, no training, and limited instruction. So what is Dan Miller's definition of a coach? Well, Scott, I, I've had this conversation a million times over, uh, being in the coaching space myself and then training coaches, and your questions are very legitimate. You know, I guess my definition of a coach in general would simply be someone who helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. So the first thing I'm going to do in working with the client is identify where are you now? Let's get a clear assessment of where you are now and where do you want to be? I typically use three years out. Where do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? So we go through that. But you can ask a coach, what is the process we'll be using? I mean, for what I just described, I have a very thorough overview, a process that somebody goes through and completes. What do you want your life to look like three years from now in seven different areas of life? What would success look like to you three years from now, physically, financially, socially, in business? career-wise. And then based on that, where do you have to be a year from now to really know that you're on track? And based on that, what do you have to do today to get started in that direction? So we work through processes. I mean, coaching, the, the, the way coaches get in trouble and clients is because coaches who don't have processes and they just kind of get together and talk and hope that everybody feels better. Yeah, I granted, you, you should resent spending money for that kind of process. 
in as much as I don't have to be an expert on everything. It's not like I have all the answers and any coach would be ridiculous to think they needed to, or that they did have all the answers, but we ought to be able to help people frame questions so that they can go through a process and come out the other side with a lot of clarity. So a couple other things, you know, you could ask, what are the deliverables I can expect in this process? And you can also ask this, ask somebody who you're considering as a coach, who's coaching you? That's a very legitimate question. I mean, you ask me, I mean, I've had coaches for financial planning, goodness for podcasting, blogging, speaking, vocal coach, in addition to speaking, those are two different things, business planning, entrepreneurship development. I mean, I've involved in a program right now with a coach. Got a call this morning from my coach, as a matter of fact, saying, hey, we need to schedule a time. But I always got a coach. Now, you know, somebody could ask me, this is where it gets a little bit perhaps surprising. Somebody can ask me, do your clients always make more money? Well, let me tell you about a couple of clients. Let's say that I have a client. Let's, let's take a real example where I had a guy come to me as a dentist. He was making about $350,000 a year, you know, doing well. Everybody, his clients loved him, respecting the community. He was on heavy medication for depression because he hated the life he had created for himself. So we went through a coaching process, sold his dental practice, and very successfully so, fortunately. Uh, he went back to school, got a degree, got trained as a family counselor. His income today is about 70000 So we went from three fifty to 70000 He says, this is what I was born to do. I want to be doing this until the day I die. The change in his physical condition, in his marriage, his old physique has just been astounding. Now, was that successful? I dramatically helped him reduce his income. Well, that's where we have to be careful about how we define success. So my goal in working with somebody is not always to increase their income. Does that happen? Yeah, lots of times it happens. It's fun. You know, sometimes four or five, eight, ten times what they were making. That's fun. But that's not a real clear criteria by which we measure the success. Somebody asked me just this week, do all of your coaching mastery participants get certified? We have a coaching mastery program. We consider it to be about a six month program. They go through specific kind of things and then they're certified. Does everybody who comes in get certified? I said, no, probably about 85%. And she questioned, wow, you know, why, why do people not? I said, because being in coaching mastery is a process of personal clarification. We had a lady come through and in working with her, it became real clear. She thought coaching people was just a necessary stepping stone to really becoming a writer. She saw my writing. said that's really where I want to be. And she saw coaching as a necessary stepping stone. I said, no, it's not. If you want to write, let's write. So today she is a writer. She gets paid extremely well to write two primary articles for a major publication every month. She's paid, well, she's paid very, very well to do that. She never became certified because she didn't finish her coaching hours, but she got clarity and amazing success in her living her dream life. So yeah, there's that. I mean, we got a guy right now who came into our coaching master program, has a real strong background in church-related ministry kind of opportunities and saw this coaching. Wow. Well, in doing this, he's discovered he loves entertaining. He's entertaining. 
he's golly, he's he's now you know at nightclubs and conferences and places around his community. And he sings, he was describing just on a group call we had yesterday, the fact that Cal, he breaks into, you know, Andre Bocelli song or Mario Alonzo or something like that. And he said, people start throwing $20 bills at him. I mean, how cool is that? Well, he's not likely to become certified as a coach, but the clarity that's come in that process has been astounding. So those are just some quick examples, but reasonable kind of examples. When you're working with a coach, yeah, ask questions, dig into what is this process going to be? It should not just be some elusive feel good kind of thing. Well, Bridget asked, uh, Dan, just a little background on a story. Now, this is really interesting. It's kind of heartbreaking, but I think there's some real light at the end of the tunnel in this as well. So she says, just a little background on her story. My husband and I both have college degrees. He in business management and me in zoology. I was a zookeeper when we met. I quit when we were married, had our first child. My husband has had over 30 different jobs in the past six years. Dan, it's not an exaggeration. I actually counted them up. He loves working and is an amazing manager, but his superiors always ended up not liking him and found strange excuses to fire him. Um, We suspect this dislike everyone suddenly develops is because my husband has Asperger's and has a difficult time showing emotion and it weirds people out so they find reasons to get rid of him. I've watched my husband cry many tears because he wants nothing more than to be a provider for our family. Our answer was to create a business where he is the boss instead of having a superior that will suddenly find an issue with him. Your guest speaker on this last episode, and you spoke a lot about upper limit challenges, and it's something I've been working on myself for a very long time. Now, that would have been, that was just last week I had as my guest Tommy Breedlove, and we did. We talked about upper limit challenges, how Tommy has broken through his own and gone on from there. All right, we, I got a lot of feedback on that. Um, people saying one of the best podcasts ever, incidentally, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out last week, Tommy breed and love. And okay. Bridget continues. Um, my husband and I, okay. My husband and I own a commercial and residential cleaning business, and we're going on our fourth year of being in business. I always greet my clients with a smile, go above and beyond with my work. Honestly, I'm becoming burnt out on being stepped on and run over. I'm tired of being nice just to have people look over me. I feel as if my husband and I are invisible to everyone else unless they need their toilet scrubbed and then they might think about us. How long before our kindness starts coming back to us? How long until people see us? Are we to be doormats forever? We're priced well. We know what our services are worth. We market to our ideal clients. I make sure we go to community gatherings and participate in dinners and such. Is it because we clean for a living? Do people see us as basically dirty washcloths? I'm frustrated and considering just working a regular nine to five so I don't have to deal with crotchety clients anymore. I know that entrepreneurship holds so much promise, but I'm wondering if maybe it just doesn't matter how positive and passionate you are. People are determined to keep us in our little box and I can't find a way out. I'm not sure how much sense this message really makes, but I don't know what to do anymore. Is there really any hope for us? Wow. God, I feel your pain, Bridget, but I think, I think you're right on top of turning this around into something that's really fulfilling. Now, in the 40 Days Eagles community, we talk a lot about right mindset, right idea, right network. 
And I think those are three critical components of what you're talking about here. I want to caution you about mindset. I want to caution you against assuming that everybody is just going to see something wrong with your husband or that clients are going to look down on you because you have a cleaning business. Don't let your thinking go there. You want to be and be so good. They can't ignore you. Be excellent in what you're doing. And then the question you're really asking is, you know, why would somebody pick you? Now, just this last week, Joanna and I were down in Playa del Carmen. I mean, that's down about 50 miles south of Cancun. We fly down to Cancun and then go down. It's right on the Gulf there, beautiful area. So we're relaxing, soaking up the sun. But I always see, you know, unique learning opportunities. So looking off the balcony of our hotel room, we were looking straight down at the Gulf. There were two boats down there where you could ferry over to Cozumel. And that was the deal. Between our hotel bank balcony and the dock, there were five little booths, little covered booths, independent people, all selling tickets for the ferry ride over to Cozumel. They were all right in a straight line with travelers having to walk right by all five, all selling tickets for exactly the same boat at exactly the same price, the same times. How do you make yourself stand out with a product or service, you know, that lots of other people are offering? When people think of cleaning, in your case, do they think of 20 other places, 20 other businesses they could contact? You get exactly the same product or service. How do you make yourself a category of one? I mean, what is your unique value proposition? That's what you have to look at. Now, in the case of the the little booths, there was one that so clearly stood out. It was hilarious because of the guy who was working the booth. When everybody else had a little stool behind the booth, they were back there sitting there looking at their phones and had to be interrupted by a potential customer to respond. Not this little guy. And he was out there greeting people, laughing with them, joking with their kids, engaging them in conversation. And he just pulled them in one after another. And then end up selling them tickets. I mean, it was so easy to see the difference. I thought, why do these other people sit there thinking that somehow that what maybe they're being paid hourly? I don't know. I should have gone and talked to them about that. But here's what you want to do in your cleaning business: you want to find your niche. I mean, have have a niche. It may be that you clean printing companies because they have unique kind of needs because of the ink that gets spilled. You know, I think I think it helps to have rather than just being a generalist, be a specific niche, be an expert in something in particular. It might be that you use environmentally friendly or all green cleaning products. It might be that you wear distinct uniforms or that when you leave, you always leave two little candy kisses and a card on the counter. Just those little things to make it unique. Now you use um, Cornerstone in your name, I see, in your cleaning company name. You might do something to play on that. And Joanna and I have gone over to Whitestone Inn many times. And when you check in at this beautiful resort over near Knoxville, Tennessee, they give you a little white stone. And when you ask about it, it's based on a scripture out of Revelation 2.17 that said, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So, Anticipating in the future, God's going to give us a white stone with our name on it. That's the name of their company. You might do something like that. I mean, something that plays on your name. 
to make it stand out. You want to ask for and listen for feedback and ask people, how likely are you to recommend us to a colleague? Why are we not? Is there something we can do to improve our service? Is there anything we're doing now that makes our service really stand out in your eyes? Now, here's another thing, and I want to throw this in because it's, it's relative to so many of the questions like this that have come in just this week and on an ongoing basis. But here you are in a cleaning business. So you're one more cleaning service. If I open yesterday, we got, we got the yellow pages. You got to be kidding me. A physical yellow pages. Do people still do that? I fan through it to see, you know, who's in there. Well, people like plumbers where you need immediate assistance are in there, but the, the yellow pages have shrunk from what used to be a massive document down to almost a brochure. But yeah, you know, what, what is it that makes you stand out when there are a whole lot of competitors that are out there, but it might be that you see an opportunity that addresses the very industry you're in instead of just being one more competitor. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Joe Polish, but you can look that up and you can see that Joe has done quite well. What Joe did, he started a cleaning business when he was just a teenager Well, it was really easy to get the business and all of a sudden he was hiring other people to help him do the work because it was so easy to get the business. And he had other cleaning businesses asking him, how do you get so many customers? Well, he thought the marketing side was the easy thing to do. And so he started teaching. He created a little course to teach other cleaning companies how to market their services effectively. Well, that little course made him millions of dollars and he's gone on. Now he's in other industries. He, he heads up, uh, Golly, it's like a genius mastermind. It's called Genius Network. I mean, you pay $25,000 a year to be part of it. And you go and you'll see people there like Brendan Bouchard and Richard Branson, people like that who hang out there. Genius Network, Joe Polish, who had a cleaning company, started that. You might develop a tool for cleaning blinds or something for getting scratches off marble countertops and and market that to other cleaning companies. You might discover... Um, golly, a cleaning product that's just been developed and become a distributor for that product. You know, it, it's like I had a young couple come to me one time and they wanted to buy a restaurant. Well, in looking at the financials, it just did not make sense at all. But I said, here's what I don't want you to do. Rather than just wanting to have another restaurant in an area where there's hundreds of them already, why don't you take your affinity, your desire to be connected with food, take that idea and come back to me next week with 20 ideas about things you could do with the food industry, but not just be one more restaurant where you have really tiny profit margins and high risk at every even surviving. But you know, you might sell brownies, become really known for the great brownies that you make. And so you then sell those to the other restaurants. So you're a supplier rather than a competitor. You could provide special lunches for sales organizations. You might uh, do catering for conferences. I mean, those are the things sometimes we're so close to an industry and we just try to keep doing it just like everybody else is doing it, where an opportunity is right there where we could break out because of our knowledge of that industry. And I got so many, so many examples, but I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears here and we'll move on to other, uh, some, some other related questions. Well, hey, just a quick reminder. These are real questions. You can tell I get pretty passionate about these these questions. I love the opportunity to unpack these week after week. If you got a question, just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. And that's the easiest way. You can leave an audio message if you just go to 48days.com. You'll see a little microphone down there in the corner of any page. But 
if the easiest way typically that people use for submitting questions is just send an email to askdan at 48days.com. Now I got this, this, this note, ah, let me just, let me just share it. What kind of, I'll call her Nancy. Do you have any plans to offer the silent sales machine at reduced rates? I enjoy your podcast and appreciate what you do. Okay, now the silent sales machine is a book and podcast by my friend Jim Cockrum. He is the biggest guru in online selling there probably is, recognized by Amazon and others. So his silent sales machine, he has a, a podcast, and of course that's free. Silent sales machine that Nancy's referring to here, I assume, is the book. There's a new version of the book, 10.0 out. The book, and I wrote back, I said, Nancy, I'm not sure I understand. The book that has made people millions and millions of dollars, Silent Sales Machine, is $12.99. And I, I, I asked, I said, what reduced rate would make you consider buying it? You can even, if you go, if you go there and buy it, you're going to see used ones, which is a 9.0 version, just one version back that are available for $2.99. But here's why this, here's why I want to include this. This is not uncommon in terms of kind of a question, but looking for a deal on a book that has a potential to change your life. And the book is $12.99. Now that concerns me. That tells me about somebody's mindset. You have to make sure that you're investing three to 5% of your income in your personal growth. Now here's how, let's say that you're just scraping by, you're making $12 an hour. So that's going to be, well, that's going to be roughly $2,000 a month. 3% of that is $60. If you're not willing to invest that $60 in yourself, don't expect your life to change. Period. Just don't. Now I encourage people to, as soon as their income moves up to like $50,000 a year to increase that percentage to 5%. I don't ever suggest that you increase it more than that if you're making a million dollars. But if you're making a million dollars, that 5% is going to be $50,000. You know, that you look, how can you use that to improve personally? But yeah, no matter what it is you're making, I don't care where it is, take 3% of your income from day one, invest that in yourself. That's how you get your life to change. You know, I'm going to play a real quick here, a little clip. This is Tony Robbins. Now, Tony Robbins, you know, Tony has been, my gosh, I mean, he invites people to Fiji where people pay, you know, 25 grand for three days to come and go over there and walk in the hot coals and do those things to change your mindset. You're thinking, you're stinking thinking and all that. So he's been, so he, Tony's worth millions and millions of dollars. I don't know if he's a billionaire. I'm not sure. But anyway, he's worth millions and millions of dollars. Here's how he started. Listen to this. And then when I was 17, I went to this seminar. I was working as a janitor and then I was in high school. And then to help support my family also, I'd work on the weekends and I'd move people. And there was a friend of our family who had been doing really poorly and now he was turning properties in California at a time when that was going really well. So I'm moving and we get a little break and I said, my dad said you used to be such a loser and how come you're so successful now? And you know, only a kid could say that stuff. And the guy looks at me and goes, your dad said what? And long story short, he goes, well, I went to this seminar, this man named Jim Rohn. I said, what's a seminar? He goes, well, a man takes everything he's learned in 20, 30 years of his life and he pours it in like four hours and you get to save a decade or two. And I said, wow, I'd like to go to one of those. Could you get me in? He said, yeah. 
And then he didn't say any more. I said, well, would you? And he said, no. And I said, why not? He goes, because you won't value it. I said, well, how much does it cost? And he said, I think it was $35, and I was making $40 a week as a janitor. And I said, that's a week's pay. He goes, well, then go waste 10 or 20 years doing it on your own. I made this big decision, you know, spend a week's pay to go to this event. And I sat there, and I was mesmerized. And that's what started the game for me. All right. Now, I, I've got my own stories. You know, I tell my story about when I was a 13-year-old kid, I somehow got a hold of the little vinyl recording by Earl Nightingale titled The Strangest Secret. I went back to Vic Kona not that long ago, well, a year or so ago, and I said, what did that sell for back when Dan Miller was a 13-year-old kid? And he said it was $15. Well, $15, even in today's money, is like 120 But, you know, I thought, wow, how did I get that money? But you know what? Personal development, personal growth, new opportunities, seeing new horizons, the desire to be more, have more, do more, go more was so strong in me that I spent that money. And that started opening the door. I've gone through, I've got a presentation that I do where I go through showing the ripple effect of that expense when I was a 13-year-old kid and how that opened the door to so many more things. But I continue to look for, how am I going to invest that 5% of my income? How am I going to invest that? That's why I'm very open to coaching, to going to conferences, of course, getting books, you know, the drop of a hat, no big deal, courses, seminars, because I believe so strongly in that principle that I don't want to break it. I mean, it's like the principle of the tithe. If you really believe that you can do, have more with 90% and with God's help and the other 10, than you can with hundred percent on your own. Well, it's a principle we believe in. I believe in this principle as well, investing in yourself. If you are not willing to spend $12.99 on a book that has the potential to change your life, then again, just don't expect your life to change. Well, let me move on. All right, so Tyson says, Dan is a pastor, so much of what I do is coaching related. As a result, I sat back and did some self-evaluation, identifying my gifts, passion, enjoyments. As a result, recently I wrote a book, started coaching, started a mastermind, and podcasting to create side income. Recently, some members of my congregation have approached me about a coaching or mastermind relationship. So my question is, how should I manage the relationship between being their pastor versus being a coach and charging them for my services? Can you provide some advice on how to navigate those waters? Thanks for your answer. Oh my gosh. Boy, I love this question. We we need to we need to do a weekend seminar on this because this is coming up so often. Now my my dad was a pastor, but he was bivocational. He was a Mennonite pastor, so they didn't get paid. Now the church gave him a, a love offering once a quarter. Now, again, this was years ago when I was a little kid, but I remember very clearly as a little kid when the church would pass the cup for my dad, for our family, with their love offering once a quarter, and sometimes it got as high as 40 or $50. All right, so that's it. Obviously, my dad had to work for a living, so he was a farmer. So he the, the tent-making ministry that Paul talks about in the Bible, I mean, it makes it pretty clear. You know, you go make a living, and then whatever you do in terms of church services— is volunteer. That's a pretty clear dichotomy. So you can do really well in your own business. And hopefully you do really well when you're being paid by the church as the pastor that changes things a whole lot. And you know how that goes. 
if a pastor does have a little side gig and so all of a sudden he's driving a Mercedes instead of an old beat up Chevy, you know, people in the church are going to raise their eyebrows about putting money in the plate on Sunday. It complicates things real quickly. I think Tyson, what you're going to have to do here is you're going to have to, you're going to have to have a clear division between the church's time and your own time. Now, here's where this comes up a lot. And this has come up a lot in recent years. I mean, if you write a book as a pastor and it goes on to be wildly successful, I mean, who does that belong to? Does that belong to you or to the church? If you wrote it while you were employed by the church where they can consider that they have you 24 seven, I mean, who, who does that belong to? That's come up again and again and again. My encouragement, if you see that you want to do a podcast and you want to start a mastermind, you want to do coaching, you want to write books, wow, create a clear plan for yourself where within one year from now, you could be doing those things as your full-time income, even if you choose to continue pastoring the church. Now, we've got some blatant examples out there, obviously. There are um, people who have become so successful in coaching, speaking, and writing that they didn't need the church salary. I mean, big names like Joel Osteen, Rick Warren, who wrote Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life has sold more copies as a book than any book in history except the Bible. Well, Rick went back, and not only does he not take any salary today, he went back and calculated the 25 years of salary that he previously received from Saddleback Church and donated it all back to the church. So I I think you're going to have a continual challenge doing both where you're the pastor, but then, oh, they can also schedule a time on Thursday and come in and pay you as a coach or pay to be part of your mastermind. You're going to create muddy waters here that are not going to be easy to navigate at all. But again, people are so accustomed to expecting your availability. So just create a clear agreement that you have maybe two days off, maybe depending on the size of your church, you say, okay, I'm the pastor. That means I'm available Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, that's, that's my own time. That's when I have an opportunity to be, the idea of being bivocational is not new for sure. So you may even compromise your salary or put a cap on your salary as a pastor, but then negotiate for those two or three days clearly off on your own where you can use the skills you've developed as a pastor. I mean, the, the transition from being a pastor to being a coach is really natural. We have multiple coaches in our coaching mastery program because it is such a natural transition, but they're looking to do that full time, not to try to continue to do both. Well, one more quick story here. We'll just wrap up that. This is just kind of a a success story comes from uh, David. Who's a long time podcast listener involved in the 40 days community says, Dan, I attended Coaching with Excellence here at the Sanctuary in 2015. Uh, Last time I wrote, well, he's written some other books that I've mentioned on here as well. He says, the reason I'm writing to you now is that I've developed a product that is more fitting for your listeners than my magical realism love stories, which is the content of his books. For several years, I've had a routine where I wrote down five things I'm grateful for, five accomplishments for the day, and five things I have to do the next day. I did that every night just before bed, found that when I kept this up, Um, My life seemed to stay on track. More importantly, I felt like my life was off track when I didn't write these things down. After using a mini spiral bound notebook for years, I tried to use guided journals with daily inspirations, help me stick to the routine, but I found they didn't suit my needs. 
That's when I decided to create my own one, one that I thought was perfect for me. With my experience in publishing so many books, I knew that I could make this journal for cheap, buy as many copies as I wanted, a fraction of the retail cost. So I started designing and writing. Once I had a manuscript, I commissioned two different designers on Fiverr to design a cover. Now, I want you to pay attention, those of you just listening to this, because uh, he, he describes such a simple process to create a new product. Commissioned two graphic designers on Fiverr to design a cover, pick the better of the two. That cost me a total of $14. I ordered some author copies, sent them to a couple of beta readers, all for probably $15. After those author copies got back to me, I considered the feedback, made some changes. I then printed two copies of just the text and had a couple of different people proofread it. Those copies cost me about $20. When the book went live, I had less than $50 invested in this just-before-bed journal. Showing off my product to my wife, I thought for sure I was going to get nothing but praise and accolades for being such an efficient, creative person. I got some, but I also got one little critique. What about left-handed people? You see, I created just before bed journal for me. I'm right-handed, didn't care for writing on the left side of those gutted, guided journals I tried. As a result, I put all the writing prompts in my journal on the right side. It never occurred to me that this meant I was leaving out left-handed people. So thanks to my wife, I published the just before bed journal for lefties. A few days later, at no additional cost, it only required a little format change and adding for lefties in a few different locations. I now have both journals live on Amazon for $9.99. or 99 cents. And although it's not yet a bestseller, it's been my best book launch so far, better than any of the little 99 cent ebook launches I've done. And David says, if I give him an address, he'd like to send me a copy. Certainly I did that. Be delighted to see it. Boom. All right. I love this little example. It's just doing something, doing something where you take action on an idea and all of a sudden here's a product, it's up online, people are buying it, sending you money, you get money while you sleep, that Swiss dollars that I talk about, sales while I sleep soundly. Well, I love the questions again. Continue to shoot your questions in at askdan at 48days.com. I love being able to go through those. I love these kind of themes that we see emerging. We'll kind of group some from past weeks together for upcoming weeks as well. I got some upcoming, you got an upcoming um, interview I did with our friend Kent Julian on how to use speaking to just make a bigger impact for yourself. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. We're sharing that as well. Well, let me just give you a kind of a recap here and we'll wrap things up for today. Here's just some of the kind of bullet points that really have a pl- application no matter what it is that you're doing. Look for your use dis- look for your distinct advantage. What is it that makes you stand out? What is your unique value proposition? How are you going to stand out when there's five little booths selling tickets and you're one of the five? What are you going to do that just makes you stand out? Not that complicated, but figure out what that means for you. Feel free to ask your potential coach who's coaching him or her. Look for ideas that support the industry you're in rather than being just one more competitor. I love those kind of ideas. We'll devote some more time upcoming segment where I talk about that, how people were in a given industry, but then saw an opportunity to serve that industry, perhaps rather than just be one more competitor. And then make sure that you're investing three to 5% of your income in your personal growth. Boy, don't settle for less than that. Make sure you're doing that. Invest in yourself. It's the, it's the greatest financial return I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, you can talk about cars, real estate, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, what I have never seen the kind of return financially, mathematically, 
that I've seen from investing in myself. And the last one, if people expect access to you in a current role, make sure you block out personal time to charge for your services. Well, our resource for today was 10 side biz ideas just to stimulate your thinking, give you encouragement about what other 48 Days listeners have done. Go to 48days.com slash side biz for that. Well, as always, thanks for being part of this community where we share readily, share so freely. The generosity I see just amazes me every day where we share ideas and resources. But thanks for being part of this growing community where we know without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.